Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. Hello and welcome back to the Top of the League podcast with Alexander Moneypenny and Bradley Adams. <laughs> Bradley Adams. How you doing, mate? I'm good, fella. How are you? I'm feeling pretty good. I I, I had a pretty heavy day yesterday, not going to lie. Nice. I went a bit East End then. I had a pretty, a pretty heavy day yesterday, geezer. Well, it, it, was a, it was a tough pretty, one, but... Uh... Pretty heavy day, mate. Um, no, but it was good. It was, really, it was a really good day of football all round. I just oh, love mate. football. I just love football. Yeah, I could appreciate that. It's so, it's so good. Plain and simply, I love football. And it reminded yeah. me, I, I, you know, all jokes aside, all kind of, you know, trendy opinions aside, it's just so nice to watch some football. Yeah. Um, especially football where we win the football and we score more goals than the opposition, which means, I believe, we win. Yes, of course. We do win. I think it's also like Liverpool were so good at the start of, the se- of last season that even though they kind of fucked off on holiday for the end of the season, the football after the restart meant nothing. So one thing I loved about kind of the past weekend was like the football meant something again, Mm. you know, because I think the most exciting games of a season are about like the first 10 to 12 games. Yeah. Because that's when everything is up for grabs. It's like those moments where literally nine points could mean you are in the relegation zone or you're at the top of the table. And I think that's kind of like, for me especially, the most exciting part of a season because anything can happen. Yeah. You start, and yeah. after about 12 games, because it's a, what, nearly a third of a season, you start to see kind of like the league taking shape. So it's interesting to see if like a lead, say, who were phenomenal yesterday. Oh, amazing. Who were so unlucky not to get a point, if not even all three, to end up at the bottom of the table after 12 games to then, you know, end up in. 10th position you know I think that that's like the madness of the Premier League so I'm just gassed that it's back and there's something to like actually give a shit about again yeah. rather than Liverpool winning it by 20 points yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's very exciting you're not on FPL are you Brad no I'm not I haven't been okay. for about five years uh, I was gonna I, ask you your team but yeah. I, ju- I just the thing with it is is I love the game I love the concept of it but I cannot be asked to be transferring players out every week or few days or however it's done or recaptaining my players. All I want to do is I want to play a game where I put 11 players on and if there's an injury, I get to swap them out. But other than that, I just keep the 11 players I've chosen and see what happens. Very much the Jose Mourinho style of management. I like that. <laughs> stick, ele- stick your best 11 players out and just say defend. Yeah. Hold, hold fast. <laughs> Do not concede. Do not concede and hit them on the counter. Um, speaking of Jose Mourinho, 
Uh, as we're recording this podcast, Spurs are losing. Uh, Brad, have you got an update for us? I will check Twitter this very second. The last I checked, it was the 87th minute and they... It is officially, the the final whistle has gone and it's Everton's first away win against oh. the top six in seven years, totaling oh. 41 games and it's against Mourinho Spurs from that is... a goal from a well-worked set piece, Dinier whipping the ball in. At the toilet bowl? At the, oh, at the toilet bowl. At the toilet oh, bowl. Oh, Brad. They're that fucked is them. just gorgeous. I love it. Is that our first? Is that our first live Spurs loss? I think it is. Yeah, it is. It's the first live result we've got in as we're recording. That's a great feeling. <laughs> oh, that makes a three 0 win all the sweeter. Oh, bloody um, Just before we get onto the game on Liverpool, um, you yeah, you had a, 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 we were just chatting before we we started recording, and I'm completely with you. I think they're on the precipice of a, of a massive fall off if they're not careful. Yeah, I think with Liverpool, we're looking at a situation where, unlike teams of old, you think of the Sir Alex Fergusons and the dynasties they created. Every summer, they didn't go out and sign five or six players. They would just go out and make one signing that would improve the team. They'd make a, they'd make a first team signing that would constantly change things. And um, with this Liverpool team, you know, we've not seen any real kind of big signing investment or it doesn't even have to be a big signing, just like a first team signing investment since kind of the Allison summer. So I think if they aren't careful, they are going to end up with a massive drop off that sees them maybe even drop out of the top two. I think the only saving grace for that is that Chelsea's players may need time to bed in. Because if I'm looking at like the strongest squads, I personally, even though Liverpool won the season last year, still think that Man City are by by far and away the best team in the in the league. You know, they were the best team statistically in most areas last season. And due to kind of injuries and form drop off and having to change out, you know, Fernandinho, one of the best holding midfielders there's ever been in the Premier League, to to a Rodri and then playing him at centre-back has obviously meant that they've dropped a ridiculous amount of points. And I, I've, I've always held this opinion in quiet because I think it, I mean, it, it is slightly controversial, but it's not controversial. But I honestly do not think that the Liverpool team that won the seat, the league last season by like 20 points is as good as the, that kind of 20 point seems. Because I've seen loads and loads of kind of pundits saying, but how are, how are City going to make up those 20 points? And I just think they don't have to. Liverpool were amazing last season. They are not going to hit that level again because one of the reasons they were at that level were because so many other teams were shit. Spurs, Chelsea, United, Arsenal, you know, all the other four top teams were dire. I think it is also a point of whenever a team, do you not notice at the moment, whenever a team win a league now, there is always a discussion. Is this the best team we've ever seen? Mm. Genuinely, ever since ever since Leicester won the league, pretty much maybe not around that Chelsea team, but since then that we've had the City win and the Liverpool win and maybe another City win. I can't can't do the maths. Yeah, two City wins and a Liverpool win. It feels like we're starting to go, is this the best team the Premier League's ever seen after every title win? And I think the proof is in the old repeating, as they say in the biz. No one says that. Um, but, you know, the the kind of the... The, the proof is in the constant... Uh, the, the restructuring, the reshaping, the reshifting, the other rewords that Alex Ferguson could do consistently every single year, that Arsene Wenger could do consistently, could win a title in 98 and could win a title in 2004. You know, football, think about how much football moves on at the moment. It didn't move on quite as quickly, 
But that is an incredible span to be winning tro- trophies over. Mm-hmm. And I think I probably one of very few Arsenal fans who actually has a bit of a soft spot for Liverpool. I quite like them. But oh, massive I respect don't... for them as a club, as a fan base. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. I, I, but for me, just, yeah, on them, I think there has been a huge overhyping of a lot of their, mm-hmm. of their, I think a lot of success came in a, in a very short space of time when it had been deserved over a longer period of time. And I think it's like a, a bit of a, you know, we're Liverpool are champions of everything. Oh my God, they're going to rule the world. And I'm not as scared about them anymore. You know, we look at them in that Community Shield game. That away game, we have nothing to lose. If we lose to Liverpool, we lost to the t- title uh, title winners. If we win, Mikel Arteta's, he's having a party. Of course. And I think the thing is, is a lot of their players are kind of getting to a situation where they are being overhyped. Like Virgil van Dijk hasn't hit the kind of, lofty heights that he did hit in his first full season there when they got to that first Champions League final and lost it to Madrid. He's not hit the levels that he hit that season. Mm. Alisson as well, though one of the catalysts to winning them a Champions League and to winning them a Premier League, he's probably top two goalkeepers in the country right now. But I don't think he's... I think that they're. I don't think he's as amazing. I don't. Everyone, everyone that I hear speak about him speaks uh, that he's, you know, this ethereal, phenomenal, world beating creature. He's not a Gigi Buffon. He's not an Ica Casillas of his time. He is very good, but he's. It's, it's kind of the conversation that you have about Neymar and then Messi and Ronaldo. He's, he's the Neymar in this situation. He's very, very good, but he's nowhere near that level. And I think the same is, is Van Dyke at the moment. He is a Rolls Royce. Of defenders, he is phenomenal. And whether or not Company or Ferdinand or Vidic have said that you know he he's in their class, the proof's in the pudding. In that, statistically, he's reached nowhere near the defensive abilities of of Vidic or Ferdinand in in their heyday, and he's had nowhere near the success. You know, Vidic and Ferdinand. And it's repeating it. It's repeating the success. This is this is the yeah. yeah that's this is the constant thing. 100%. It's, it's longevity. That's what you go off. Arsene Wenger, it, you cannot tarnish the legacy of him being a phenomenal manager by his latter two seasons because he finished out of the top four. When the man had finished in the top four every season for 20 seasons, mm. had won three Premier League titles, won one without being beaten at all. Whether he had 12 draws or not, no one else has done it. Like The man is a legend of the game. And nothing can ever change that because he performed at an elite level so, so consistently. He was performing at an elite level, like we said, off recording up until kind of 2012. And even in 2016, we weren't that. I mean, Spurs came third in a two horse race in 2016, but we still came second. And if we'd had that better striker that hadn't gone on a 16 game gold route, we might have won the league. Because it was, again, a down year for everyone. Hence why Leicester won the league. He performed at such an elite level. And I think, you know, Klopp is the best manager in the world right now. I don't think you can touch him. You know, just gone to two Champions League finals. Won one of them. Has just won the Premier League. Unbelievable what he's done for this team. I do think... he has pushed that Liverpool team. to its limits. To its its limits. And I think this is the point where unless they start strengthening, this is the drop-off. Agreed. We beat Fulham. We did. Yesterday. No, not yesterday. We beat Fulham on Saturday at 12.30. We beat them 3-0. Uh, we beat them 
with three goals. Lacazette, Gabriel and Aubameyang. And I'm going to call it three assists for Willian. I think it's been recorded as three. Yes, I hope so. So, work sort of chronologically, lineup wise, how, what were your sort of first reactions? You know, we went into that 3 4 3 again, which has been so successful for us so far. And I think with the, with the lack of midfielders that we currently have, lack of defenders we currently have, because I mean, we've got about seven or eight on our books, but six of them or five of them are bloody injured. So, I think we performed well. I think it was a great match. I was happy with setting up in a 3-4-3 especially because of you know the things that we had to deal with yeah I thought um yeah I mean it was a bit of an interesting interesting lineup no Pepe um and obviously El Nenny in the middle I don't know why Sabahis didn't play maybe there's an injury coming around that we don't know or, or potentially it was a fitness thing or could be a quarantine thing could be anything I don't think it was I haven't seen any quotes about it um interesting also no Saliba on the bench mm. and I know um I think Charles Watts came out with a I think about it saying that it was, you know, basically just just because he's trying to ease him into English football. Um, but yeah, no real complaints about the about the lineup. I, th- I it, it's it's always difficult to know what we're going for because we you know we don't do the graphics or anything on Twitter or on the website or anything. So you never never quite know until the until the game starts. You never really know what what we're going for, which I prefer by the way. I prefer us to not release that information. I think it is also a bit of a false. I think because. A flat lineup doesn't really tell you kind of your transitional game because in attacking in attacking moments, Tierney's going over to left back, and Maitland Niles is slotting into midfield. Yeah. So we're not exactly always playing a three four three, which is why it's not helpful all the time to look at our formation as a three four three. Yeah, it kind of it kind of moves through all sorts of phases. Yeah. So the first thing for me that was kind of really interesting was Willian dropping into midfield mm. a lot more into that sort of lacquer role that lacquer's played last season kind of linking up play sort of in that right hand channel um but also coming a bit more into the center and like is it sort of drifting i i wonder i and i and it was sort of a thought that came over me during the game and lacquer scored so this helps my narrative <laughs> but i think there's a there's a case to be made that lacquer could have a bit of a is it remontada I think if Lack is playing higher, and he says he's kind of got over some, he says he has some fitness and injury issues last year, and his physicality was was a, was a concern. If he can recapture some form, I think Lacazette is a massively confidence based player, mm. and if he can get some early goals in, if Willian can do that work, because I think this has always been the problem, hasn't it? He he hasn't quite got the legs to do the work of an Inketia. Yeah, and he's got he's got the finishing ability. And he can sort of link up, but he can't do both. He hasn't got the legs. So if if Willian can drop in a bit more, which Pepe wouldn't do, we'll come on to Pepe in a minute. Um, I wonder whether we see more goals from Lacazette this season because it was it was interesting to me that that Willian wasn't playing as a, a purely on the right. And I suppose I, I should have expected it considering his his profile. He sort of drops deep and links play and gets gets out of tight spaces. But yeah, I I, I just wonder about Lacazette whether that's a an area of 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 intrigue. I said that like it's a murder mystery. It's just a football player playing football. No, no, no. I think so. Because I, I think I, we, we were talking and you rightfully corrected me on an earlier pod where I said that he's a better finisher than a Bamiyang. Uh, but what I meant was that he's a better striker of the ball. If we see William doing the legwork that Lacazette can't do as well as be in those places to finish, then I think it's it's only going to be a positive for us in the long run. And if we also get a creative midfielder in, it means that we can... Fills that space even more. 
Yeah, and it means that Willian can do more of what, what Willian does out on the wing. Yeah, yeah. I thought our shape was was really interesting. I think it's sort of... It was difficult to tell at times because Fulham were a little bit all over the place and it, it made it quite difficult to... Mm. Um, at times, in fairness, I thought in the first half they were really compact and quite quite um, uh, quite well organised. But in the, in the second half, they, they certainly see... I think as they pressed a bit higher, it became a bit difficult to work out what was going on with their shape and with our shape. But I think in the first half, that kind of in transition where Tierney pushes forward, Maitland-Niles tucks into the middle, we have the numerical advantage. And it's it's really... Arteta has designed a really good system there where we do look really dangerous when we come forward. And we, mm-hmm. what's great is everyone seems at the moment, seems to know where someone's going to be in the space. I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and be like, I know Arteta's tactics. I sit there no, in the training no, sessions. No, no, no. But, but I imagine in the training sessions, that's what he's working on. And I think, I think seeing that in the game and especially, you know, you look at that Aubameyang goal, that third goal, which was gorgeous, by the way. You look at that goal and everyone, you know, we had to wriggle out of a couple of tight spaces, but everyone appears to have a bit more of a sense of where everyone else is going to be. We appear to be practicing these things, drilling these things and allowing the players to develop a sense of working as a team, knowing where the next person is going to be. There was a few moments where we wriggled out of situations and we played the ball out and a player was available and it was to feet and it was quick and it was sharp. I'm thinking Bayerin and El Nenny on the sort of near hand side of the where the TV camera was. It was interesting. It was really interesting mm-hmm. because it, it, it's that's kind of like one brain thing that I think a few a few play, players have talked about is fascinating, and I can see it being developed. and And it's really it's great to have a what feels like a team with a tactic tactical advice and tactical advantage. No, definitely. And if you look at the um, somebody did a really really clever kind of split together of the Abamian goal versus Liverpool. Uh, and the Abamian goal versus Fulham, and it's almost carbon copy. In it's the same, it's the same passing lanes at the same times. And then there's a photo of when Abamian obviously strikes the ball into the net, and Maitland Niles and Kieran Tierney are in the same place in both photos. So it is obviously something that we're working on that we are putting these sequences of play together. That then we know when it starts in like the Leno will pass the ball directly in a certain way to one player that then initiates this exact sequence of play, which then seems to get whoever's on that right side, whether it's Saka or whether it's Willian, the opportunity to get the ball over to Aubameyang for him mm. to do that Henri-esque level float in and, and score. Oh, stunning, stunning. And he, he it really does. And I think it's a, sometimes these types of comparisons are really easy to make, but it is, it's Henri. It's the Henri, it's mm. the tuck inside, it's the... Lift up in the in the um, in the center of gravity, the the shift. It, it's just gorgeous, and I think something else that's that has been noted that I think is really worth bringing up is about Bellerin. Both of those goals, Bellerin is the one who beats the first press. Yeah, he's the he's he's the one, and Bellerin can pick a pass. I'm conf- I'm concerned about Bellerin's touch at the moment, but <laughs> I think he there's a few moments where I'm going, oh god. And his hands are in a bit of a strange position and I'm not sure he's completely in control. Anyway, um, that's just me being a nerd. But the yeah, I think I think it's really important to note that Bellerin is is key to that build up. I think Bellerin doesn't necessarily get the the kind of tactical nous that he he necessarily deserves. I think Bellerin's a really, really clever player. And I think he played an interesting ball to I think Pepe late on. And that kind of when people are worried about Alba on the other side. 
and when people are concerned about Willian dropping deep, drawing players, we can we can grab some space on that right hand side. Um, and I think Bayern being able to play a decent couple of decent passes, especially with Sabios, if Sabios is sort of interior on the right, mm-hmm. it, it could be it could be a really nice pattern of play starting to form there as well. And again, these are all patterns of play. They're all just things that. And what's great is is it, it doesn't feel every move feels fresh. Every move feels full of ideas, but it feels structured. It feels planned. And I think ultimately that can only be good moving forward, that we, we appear to have so much more of a structure, so much more of a plan, so much more of an idea what we're doing on the ball and off the ball. We're so hard to break down at the moment. And that can only point to what's going on, on the training ground. Absolutely. And I think that one, oh, I think one un- unsung hero from the weekend is Mohamed Elneny. Yeah. Unbelievable performance. Just does the simple stuff. Just does the simple stuff clean. Um, put in an absolute graft, put in the tackles, simple passes. Though he did, I, ca- I can't remember who the pass was to, but there was a moment when he's, he received the ball in midfield. He stopped it and he sliced the ball across. And honestly, it was like a perfectly picked out pass for maybe Aubameyang on the left or Tierney kind of floating into that left wing back spot. I can't remember who it was to, but it was just an unbelievable pass. And for a player that we sent out to Besiktas last season, who cost £5 million on loan for us to buy, when we got him from Basel, he's a fantastic... He seems to be, with this new system and this new aggression, a fantastic option in that midfield when we're looking to kind of restructure our midfield. Definitely. Ultimately... You know, some comments came out after the game that Arteta has told Alani he needs him. At the end of the day, mate, how many centre midfielders do we have? <laughs> and I don't, I don't think we can be too picky. Like, you know, uh, so if we're talking about exact numbers, we're talking what? Ceballos, Xhaka, Elneny, Maitland-Niles, Özil. Yeah, kind of. Do you know what I mean? And, and we look, but Willock, they're more playing yeah, forward. Yeah, it's it's. In terms of central midfielders, defensive midfielders and central midfielders, you know, um, I think Fabrizio's tweeted before um, before our pod that we're we're looking to get rid of Torreira. We've not got that many options. By the way, Gwenduzi is twerking for Arsenal at the moment. I don't know what's happened, but on all, on social media, he is going mental. All, all the but good in terms thing. of players that look all a good thing. Look, yeah, it's it's great. But in terms of players who look like they are ready to play, ready to play, ready to play in form, Elneny's one of three, really. You know, yeah, you've got Xhaka, Sabayos and him. They're, they're the only three. Maybe if... I I wouldn't mind keeping Guendouzi, actually, because I think we can get a 60 to 70 million pound player out of him. Which is why part of me thinks that with Elneny playing the way he is, Xhaka being there and Sabayos being there, I do think we'll only go out and get another one kind of central midfielder. And I think it's probably going to be more an hour than a party. Because we it's can strange, though. structure that deal. It's strange though because I, I feel... Uh, I do feel for Arteta because he's got a lot of players... Well, he's got a few players who are... It's difficult to know squad-wise. If Gwendouzi goes, we're missing a bit, I would say, in a more 6-8 role. We're missing someone there. If Torreira mm-hmm. goes, we're missing someone in a 6-8 role. But if they stay we're still going to be missing someone in the 8 and 10 and Gwenduzi could come in. Do you know what I mean? Like, as in, that's one scenario. There's loads of different scenarios that could play out and it's it's really tricky. Alwar's a bit more of an 8-10, I think, than a, than a kind of central midfield player. Yeah. I, I'm I'm really interested to see to see what 
what comes of it. Um, it, it, it it's really tricky to not to do it in our midfield. I think the most exciting thing is the structure and the idea that these players appear to be really clear. Absolutely. What, um, what what's going on? And we're trying. I think the thing is, is we're also trying to fix our mistakes of past. You know, you look at the even Gazidis era of signing old players, putting them on really, really hefty wages, and now we're really struggling to get rid of them. So I think it is massively positive that we're going in a different route. And yeah, we're going to pay kind of some kind of consequence to that era of how we signed players in the sense that I I read through um, and counted the numbers of the, the exact numbers of the first team squad. And there are 33 members of the first team squad. And you can register 25 players for a Premier League season. So we need to get rid of eight players. If we're looking realistically. And obviously, uh, the thing is as well is you don't have to register under 21s. I think that's the rule. Maybe that's just a rule in Football Manager. But I'm pretty sure it's a rule in life as well. So we'd save space there on Saka and on Martinelli. And I think that may be it, you know, because I think Enketi is 21. I think Willock is 21. We'd save a space with Saliba, but we, we're we registering Saliba at the moment so that he can become a homegrown contingent. So I'm looking at it and I'm going, we really need to sell kind of six or seven players. And we're going to need to chop some players out of that defence in midfield. And it's going to be difficult, but... That's why that's that's why I, I I think we'll only bring in one more player. It's going to be who can we bring in and actually register, rather than bringing somebody in for the sake of it. Um, on on Gabriel, I was a little bit concerned at the start. Obviously, he had that moment, his sort of lackadaisical moment. He looked nervous, uh, understandable on your on your on your Premier League debut, but he really impressed me in the end. I thought he looked really composed. He you know obviously got a nice nice goal off the shoulder, which he pretended it was off his head. Um, and, uh, you know, man of the match, man of the match, uh, 95% uh, pass success rate, 107 passes, 113 passes. I think he got something like, you know, the most touches in the, in the match or certainly highest with, with, um, with Arsenal. I thought he did great. And and next to Rob Holdinho, you know, he, he, he looked, he looked fantastic and solid, solid. By the way, what a moment from Rob Holding. Incredible. I I, I, I love Rob Holdinho. Yeah, I love I love when players um I love when players like smile after they've done something really good on the pitch. Like hold, hold Yeah, it. it was the moment between him and Lacazette when they yeah. were just like smiling at each other. <laughs> so good. It was so, I love it when players like they know they've absolutely smashed it and they, they don't like pretend to be cool. It's so good. Um but yeah, I thought Gabriel did really really well. I think he uh, interestingly as well, I think he does give us that option to play in the three, I think he at the base of a of a three um, in the, mm-hmm. in the um, attacking phase. I thought he looked really solid. He, he, he picked a pass well. He is very left footed, slightly concerning, but um, I think you need that though. Like we've seen with England, the fact that we are so hampered with having no left footed players. That even having one player that yes is very left footed, but can at least distribute on those channels, can whip a ball over to the right side with his left, or even up that left side. Obviously, we would want his right to be a bit better and a bit more versatile, but... Yeah, we were talking about this on our... <laughs> so, essentially, we tried to put out a podcast on... <laughs> Honestly, on, uh, fuck On me. Thursday, <laughs> we had... Listen, listeners, 
we had such a mare. Should we tell the hilarious. stories? We yeah. So right, started with we started recording, and my mic wasn't working. Then Brad's tenant came round and nicked his Wi-Fi box. Yeah, the old tenant of where I now live <laughs> came round and took the Wi-Fi box just during recording. And then we um and then we recorded a whole podcast. That was fine, which I promptly deleted. Then Brad <laughs> kindly, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Then Brad kindly said he'd record another oh, podcast, God. which we did an entire one of, uh, only to find that Brad's mic was doing this. For the whole podcast, which I thought, will I subject people to that? No. So, uh, uh, but yeah, look forward to a podcast on on Thursday. We hope. Uh, but uh, yes. Um, anything else on the game, Brad? Uh, no, no. I think we've covered it all. Emmy Martinez. Okay, news is sort of broken today. Uh, it was sort of breaking yesterday. Obviously, Martinez wasn't in the squad. Um, uh, that Martinez is off to Aston Villa. It looks like. Um, sort of 20 million mark has been mentioned. Um, I think it's 16 mil with add-ons. Yeah, you know, it's, everyone sort of mentioned something different. Who knows? But um, same kind of shit. Yeah, around around sort of between 15 and, and and 20 mil. I think I know where we're going with this one, mate. It's a shame, but if it's gonna bring us what we actually need, then great. Yeah, I th- I know people have been moaning about the kind of adage of oh, but if we'd sold him for five million, no one would have batted an eyelid. And while I agree with that. Like in January before this kind of surge in performance. While I agree with that, it's shame to see a very loyal servant who's given us 10 years to finally seize his chance. And because, you know, we've got a first team goalkeeper, have to leave and go elsewhere. Because, I mean, you think about the story of it. What a Cinderella story it would be if he could then take the Arsenal number one spot. But... If you just look at it logically, Leno's the better goalkeeper. So Leno is the one that has to start. And I think we do get very romantic as mm-hmm. football fans. And I think there's something lovely about that. And there's something really toxic, honest and naive. But there is something quite toxic about it. And it's something like and, and toxic, not in the sense of it's necessarily um, evil or, or twisted, but it's it's kind of, you know, <laughs> it's. It's not toxic like that. It's toxic in the sense that it doesn't help us grow. No, because we hold on to players that we shouldn't be holding on to. Yeah, I think it, it happens. And, you know, ultimately, we can't know a player's reason, a real reason for leaving. You know, we, we can't know anything in any of these situations. We can only see what's happened, make judgments based on what we know. Ultimately, Martinez wants to play. He wants to play. And, he's and you know, Leno, I think, I can't remember if I said it on the pod before, but Leno, for me... He's the slightly better goalkeeper. Um, I know his distribution isn't quite as good. He's not quite as big, but I think overall his game is a bit better, stop shot, uh, shot stopping wise. We also have a bigger data pool to to um, uh, sort of sort of draw from. And Martinez, you know, as you say, he would have gone for five million in January, and it's a, it's a decent return. And, and and ultimately, we can get a hopefully a younger keeper, someone in someone in for the future, um, or someone who can kind of you know play second fiddle to to Leno successfully and yeah I think I, I think we have been in the past it is a yeah toxic's a, a weird one because I think it's a I don't mean in the sense of a, like when we call fans toxic for shouting abuse I mean toxic in like an inherent sense that it it's almost like we, it hurts po- us. we poison ourselves with it to the point where yeah. we can't see clearly in the sense that I love Meza Ozil yeah I love him to pieces he's uh, other than Thierry Henry 
and Dennis Burkamp. He is probably my favourite player that I've ever seen in an Arsenal shirt. I love him to pieces. Does it hurt me in that sense that this is how it's ended and that he will be leaving the club at the end of the season? Yes. But I have to be honest and go, he's earning 350 a week, isn't being played and has got four assists in two years. Ultimately, it's a business. Yes. It's a business. And we, yeah, I, I think we... The sooner we can get used to these kinds of decisions, especially, you know, the competition has never been harder. And if we can, we've and we've always said we don't sell well. We've always said we don't sell at the right time. This is the right time to sell. He's two years out from his deal. It's a good price going to not competition. You know, he'll do well at Aston Villa. I hope he keeps them up. I hope he gets, you know, keeps number one and has a has an amazing career with them. And I actually hope he gets an even bigger move because I think he could. But to establish himself as a number one keeper and and eventually realise his ambition, I think it's best for all parties. Absolutely. I mean, I was surprised Chelsea didn't come in for him because they're obviously looking for a new number one. And he's, yeah, yeah, Chelsea appear to be on some kind of like FIFA career mode spending spree. Yeah, they go. They were. They went for um, Mike Mangon from. Oh God, is it Ren or Nice? Just one more, one more time, Mike Mike Mangon. Mike Mangon or something. One more time. Mike Mangon. Just one more time, Brad. Mike Mangon. <laughs> uh, and now they've gone for Eduard Mendy. Mike Mangon. Um, for like 30, to the tune of 30 mil. To the tune. And I just think like, Martinez is Premier He's Premier League proven. He's had eight games. But at least he's been good for those eight games. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He's, he, yeah. you have a, you have yeah. more of a Premier League kind of data pool to work with looking at him going. And yeah, I mean, he's only going to Villa, but you think like he is, he's definitely an upgrade on Kepper. And if you could have snapped him up for 25, because I think Chelsea obviously would have had to have paid a premium for him rather than a Villa because they're mm. competition and they're a London club. But if they'd have come in to the tune of 30 million, I don't see why they wouldn't have gotten him. Listen, Brad. He's got more PL experience than Mike Mangon. He does. He absolutely so, does. Absolutely does. <laughs> um, yes. I. Uh, yeah. Shame to see him go, but uh, we wish him all the best. We also had the news this week of Abamyang signing his new contract. It came out from David Ornstein. I mean, it's obviously not been announced by the club. Um, I have a theory about this. Um, but uh, yes, that all came out on so what is it Thursday? Was it Thursday, Friday? I think that all came out. Yeah. Um, not, I imagine, uh, not uncoincidentally, considering we were about to start the season. I'm sure that was a you know. I think Ornstein's a bit more of a mouthpiece for the club, but you know, interesting nonetheless. Um, and uh, yeah, listen, we knew it was going to happen. We knew it was in the offing. We knew the club were working hard to get it done. Um, it's really positive news. I. <laughs> We can spin it however we want, but ultimately, Abamyang has won as the FA Cup and won as the Community Shield, and he was, you know, best one of the best strikers, certainly one of, if not the best striker in the Premier League. We can spin it however we want. We can say, well, we're not, you know, we're not getting any value out of him at the end of the contract. Sometimes players are more important than that, and for me, Abamyang is not an investment. He is a player for now to get us points now in this in season. the ch- and ch- get us in the Champions League because if we get that financial boost that will be the value we get from this contract. Yeah. And that's the thing, is exactly as you just said, the value comes in this player playing for us now. And that's and that's what it is. I have a theory that it's not actually signed. Although I think Arteta, well, certainly wasn't signed and the reason it's taken so long. So hear me out. 
I think Arteta, so he came out after the game yesterday and he said, we'll, you know, we'll have some news for you in a couple of days. Just slight side note, I love when he was asked about Awar, he said, uh, I don't want to speak about players from other clubs, which oh. is the most Arsene Wenger thing I've Wenger. Ever, ever heard. Anyway, um, but yeah, so he, he said, you know, hopefully we'll have some news for you in the next couple of days or, or whatever he said. I, I, I imagine it will come out fairly soon, hopefully, you know, not while we're recording the podcast. Um, but... I have a theory that he's been waiting to see how the signings are going. Yeah. And I imagine he's gone, if you can show me or prove to me that you're going to make some signings, that you're going to... I imagine he's gone in and said, I love it here. I love being here. I love you guys. I love being captain. But I can't do it on my own anymore. <laughs> I need backup. I need players around me. And I think... I hope him signing is a good sign in terms of the other signings, if that makes any sense. Yes. Because I think if he's signing, we must be close or at least going here, look, we're selling these players so we can get the money to do this. Do you know what I mean? Or or or, or similar. I obviously don't know that. <laughs> but that is that's my only real theory as to why he wouldn't have just done it weeks ago if it was signed. Or if it has been signed, as Ornstein said, why haven't we announced it? Do you know what I mean? So so I I I imagine it's a yes. Alba is is signing, or you know, has, has everything done but the signature. But there's a few moments of going. Okay, well, then, until I know you're signing those players, I don't want to do that. But I, who knows? He also may have been looking at the Messi situation and seeing, you know, what played out there. Yeah, absolutely. I think you were totally right in the sense that if the contract was signed, I'm always right, Brad. It's my podcast, <laughs> not ours, mine. Um, if if the thing was signed. I mean, it's. It was, I think it was two... I've got two schools of thought on it. I think if it was definitely signed, they were keeping it in, cl- in case we lost to Fulham. First day, game of the season. We lose to Fulham, pick up... They'll re- release it on the Tuesday, picks us up. Now my thinking is kind of along the same vein as you, that he may have just gone, I will show loyalty to you once you show ambition to me. Oh, I love that. Sign these players. Sign. You need to sign some decent, high-quality, profile players. And then once you've done that, I will sign on the dotted line. But until you do that, I will not sign away. What is his last contract, probably, of his yeah, career? Because he's happy. He's valued. He's scoring goals. He's... Earning a shitload of money. Winning titles. Ultimately, he's winning titles now. And I know they're not the titles he'd want to. But, you, you know, you weigh up the risk against that. And it's not as good as, you know... You, no club guarantees titles. Barcelona can't guarantee you titles. One nothing so, this season, so... You know, so it's... It, as much as you say go to a bigger club, he must be thinking... But I love it here, and I could spend the next next three years of my life absolutely banging in the goals, potentially in an amazing project. Or I go next, you know, last three years of my career, go somewhere where I don't play, I don't like it, I'm not a big fan, the fans don't like me, and that's the end of my career. Yeah, it's also a thing as well. I think people forget how big a draw London is, and living in London. Oh my God, London! Honestly, do you want to go Leicester Square? You you can like. You can you've seen it before. There's been a few moves where players have been linked to maybe a Manchester club or London, and most of the time they will choose London because they'll get comparable wages, and they'll get to live in kind of a very culturally diverse city where a lot is happening. So I think he loves it here, loves it in London. Maybe he loves the club and loves the people, but I think the money will talk and the ambition will talk. And I think that's just what maybe has been holding this up 
is the lack of signings. You know, we've signed two first-team players. Can you just give us that thing again? I will show you... What did you say? What? I will show you loyalty if you... Oh, I will... Yeah, it's that situation of I will show you loyalty if you show me ambition. Brad, I'm stealing that, mate. That is a vibe. I'm getting that tattooed. No, but it's it's the truth, isn't it? He's an elite... I uh, He is slept on. He is an elite level striker. We created the 18th least chances in the Premier League this season. And my man was one goal off the golden boot. Brad, can I get that you on a tea towel? Yeah, you can do it. You can do it. A mug? Why not? A t-shirt? Yeah. No, someone started drilling. You're joking. Wait, they've stopped. It's fine. They've stopped. It's all good. <laughs> Okay, so uh, question for you, Alex. Um, Go on, Brad. I read a statistic the other day uh, that was uh, pre-lockdown with fans obviously still in stadiums. The home team regularly won uh, kind of the match of football around kind of in the 40 to 45% of the time region. I think it was kind of in and around that. Okay. And now with kind of... Closed doors matches, closed door football, no fans in the stadiums, automated noise. It's dropped to kind of the late to mid 20s, kind of taking away a lot of that home game advantage. One theory that we've discussed off pod and kind of now I'd love to put it to you in this context is, do you think that that that's kind of a contributing factor to how well we've seemed to implement the system without fans in the stadium kind of screaming at Leno to kick it long. I like this, Brad. Do you want to host the podcast? And I can be the one. I like this way around. You, do you? Do you? Yeah, I really like it. Should we try it one I think week? maybe, maybe, maybe <laughs> we'll, maybe we'll do sections. Yeah, yeah I like it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, listen, it's, a lot is made of Arteta's kind of, trilingualism or quadrilingualism or ling- quadrilingualism is that a word i just made that up oh god knows quadlingualism hang on give it a google give it a google we should have some like give it a google music we we google so much dun 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 brad just put some like air, <laughs> fucking elevator music yeah. on it brad yes quadrilingual is a word quadrilingual oh quadrilingual Ooh. i don't Ooh. know if arteta is quadrilingual but I, I imagine he i think he speaks french spanish english and i've seen him speaking to willian i don't know whether he's talking to him in english or whatever but i'm i reckon he speaks in portuguese who knows anyway i think yeah i, I mean lots made of his uh language abilities and i think the fact that we're constantly, the fact that the players can constantly hear Arteta, the, pa- the fact that the players can, are constantly listening to direction m- must be, you know, it's, it's, I imagine some players find it a bit distracting, but for a team learning patterns of play, for a team um, feeling like they're, you know, in a rebuild, in a kind of a new generational type thing, it's like having the teacher with you in the exam. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's the sort of, it must feel quite good to have that play, that guy there. And I'm sure for the likes of Aubameyang stuff, you're like, oh, shut up. But, you know, for the likes of, let's say, you know, Maitland-Niles, for Tierney, for Gabriel, for even for Pepe, you know, for those players, I imagine having that person there and, be, and crucially, as, as, as the point you're making, being able to hear them and being able to hear every single word they're saying, the clarity and, you know, 
playing in a pressure-free zone, really, you know, or something something that feels less pressureful, you know, more like a training exercise. I think is probably, you know, Arteta's had, you know, some difficulties in that he hasn't been able to have a full preseason, of course, of course. Um, but he, <laughs> that was so BBC, of course. Um, but I think the kind of the hidden advantage of that is that he's had time literally to speak to them. And, you know, he's had the, the, the time on the pitch being able to let literally physically go, no, don't go there. No, don't do that. Yes, do try that. No, don't do that. I think it's it's underrated and it could be, you know, in the sort of the story of Arteta whenever that comes out in a book by Amy Lawrence or whatever in, in 20 years time. I wonder whether that... I love Amy Lawrence, by the way. That wasn't... I love her. Um, uh, that... Not, you know, not in a sexual way. She's just very good at her job. Just wanted to clarify <laughs> that. I don't love her. I don't love her. Um, but yeah, I think in, in, you know, in, let's say... 20, 30 years when the when the Arteta story is written about his time at Arsenal, if it's successful, I think that could be a massive contributing factor to the first sort of six months, really. I, I massively agree with you. And the fact that we've lost that, because everyone, it's fucking annoying. Everyone, when they go and watch a football match, thinks they're Pep Guardiola. I don't, Brad. And start, I like, don't. you hear, you, no. no, but you start hearing <laughs> screams of, shoot, or pass it, or... Kick it long, and you're like, "Fuck off!" Just they're all, they're professional footballers. You work in a pub, let them do their job. The problem is, right, is you know what it's like. You go to games, and you want to coach them. You want to shout at them, do this thing. Ugh. You know for a fact they can't hear you. You know for a fact, even if they could hear you, they don't care. Exactly. <laughs> and, and you know for a fact that you don't know more about this football team than Mikel Arteta does. So just shut up. Uh, it's tricky though, isn't it? Because you you do you go and you think, oh mate, yeah, of course. If only I could be down there just giving my 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 professional opinion. They need to score goals. That's what I say. Shoot ball, score goal. Shoot ball more. Score goal more. Do win, win match. Oh God, what was the thing um, that um M- Michael Owen when he when he was doing some punditry said? What well, I think it was something like, you know, when they don't score, they hardly ever win. Uh, Christ almighty. I'm very happy with Micah Richards on Sky Sports News, by the way. Micah Richards is great, man. I think that's going to be fantastic. Alex Scott as well. Alex Scott is oh, fucking does bits, man. She's so Unbelievable good. pundit. Yeah, she's great. She's great. Tell you who is great. Weird one. Liam Rossinia. Really good pundit. Have a, have a listen to him on Sky if you haven't. If he, uh, Sometimes he's on the debate. Okay. Um, we'll do. He's r- really smart. And I don't I don't know. I think Liam Rossini was like a Reading player, like at his yeah, peak yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah, 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 yeah. He wasn't like a crazy, uh, didn't massively hit the heights. Uh, let me just hang on. I mean, he Liam played Rossini. Premier League football. That's a pretty, yeah. pretty lofty height. Yeah, pretty, you know, but as in he, you know, he was never yeah. like, like Champions League level. Crazy, crazy, um, at the highest level of the game. But yeah. He's really good. He speaks on the game really well and he's really smart. Um, politically switched on as well, which is is always good. We also had the news this week about Arteta becoming first team manager as opposed to head coach. Um, Edu and Vinay did a lovely little socially distanced garden video um, where they basically explained uh, how the the role will be changing, what's the reason for this change, um, how they're feeling, why Edu's wearing purple trainers, all sorts of stuff. And the yeah i i mean 
it's pretty obvious what that means. And I think Vinay explained it in his own words. You don't need me to 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 tell you what it was. He's more than a first team. He's more than a, a, a head coach. The part that I found interesting about it was the relationship between Edu and Mikel and the fact that that's come, you know, both of them have come out and said, we have a great relationship and that's fine. But for someone else to come out and say, Edu and Mikel have a great relationship, that's really nice. And also mm. the kind of the comments from Edu around um, stat DNA, around recruitment uh, are fascinating really. And uh, it's, you know, he's basically, he's clearly putting himself in a position where he is, he is the person that someone comes to around football decisions at Arsenal. And it's fascinating. So he was saying, it's simple for me. With my permit, with my position here, I want to put in place one clear process, how we are going to sign, who gets responsibilities, where we start to understand where we need the player, the position we need, the characteristics we need. That has to be very clear internally now. The decision we made to change our infrastructure was clear for me. I want to work with less people. I want to work with stat DNA a lot more, which we have internally here at the club and is very important. The people I want to work with, I want them to be very close to me. I want to create a group of people working together. I don't want individual people working in one area or for one country. I want a group working together. Less people with much more responsibilities. To me, that's fascinating. To me, that is, you know, the most interesting part of this whole thing is around Edu and Arteta's clear vision together to kind of create this small, tight-knit group of people who are responsible for the, for the, um, for the recruitment style and for who we bring in. And also just who is responsible, you know, being very clear, who is ultimately responsible for those transfers coming in. It was Edu. Yeah, and I think it's fascinating that if you look at kind of similar situations in other areas of sport, you know, everyone talks of kind of like Moneyball and this idea of kind of statistics-led baseball where, oh God, I think it's like the Oakland, is it the Oakland Raiders baseball team? Basically, this it's it's a very famous story that they they built their team with nobodies based off based off of kind of statistically what those players could give them and they got their players to, to within touching distance of like winning the MLB championship or whatever it's called and i think that it is brilliant and fascinating that we're almost developing a similar sort of model because i mean there's a film on it with Jonah Hill and Brad Pitt that kind of dumbs it down to a hollywood level where nobody's can understand it without having to really understand kind of the in-depth analytical knowledge that you need to make these decisions but the fact that of the matter kind of and the stories is that it, it was three people working one succinct strategy that took them without spending barely any money without going without their means within touching distance of 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 winning their so-called respective kind of trophy or league or whatever it's called. And I think that the less people there are, the less you get your wires crossed and the more precise that you can be with things and the more responsibility that there is on people's heads. I think one of the reasons that for so long we were making so many shit decisions when it came to signings, when it came to the running of the club was so many people could hide behind other people. That can't happen anymore. If Edu fucks up, it will be clear to see. Just like if Vinay fucks up, it will now be clear to see because there is not thousands of people working in the backlog that can be blamed for all of these mistakes. Definitely. It's it's really interesting to me and it the kind of the it now obviously explains the the redundancies and stuff. And you know, I 
don't like it when people lose their jobs, obviously. But the idea that we're streamlining it massively is is really exciting. It's it's really, it, I think it'll be massively beneficial for the club. And mm-hmm. and the idea that we're you know just focusing on a few people, knowing who we're signing and who we're scouting and all that sort of stuff. We can rely on scout reports. We can get data. We can do all that stuff. And I think we can, but it's moving us into a more modern way of recruiting. And big club movement, like every, the bigger clubs that you see, like a Man City or a Liverpool, they always target certain players. And if they don't get those players, they don't get anyone. You look at Liverpool this summer, apparently they're targeting Thiago and that's it. And they're not, other than they needed left back cover. So they brought in Simicast because... Norwich, who was second on the list apparently because Norwich were being unrealistic with wanting 20 million for Jamal Lewis or whatever it was. Every big club does this. They have their targets. They go out and get them. That is it. City this season, they wanted Ake, Ferran Torres and Koulibaly. They've got two out of the three and they're working on Koulibaly. And then anyone after that, you know, is fine. It's extras. It's whatever. You look at Liverpool. They were after a left back and Thiago. They couldn't get their first choice. So they've got their second choice. And now they're not willing to just go and spunk money on a random. And I think that's the difference. For so long, Arsenal have gone, we need a centre back. And just gone into the market for 12 different centre backs. Rather than gone, we want Gabriel. Or we want Koulibaly. Or we want Nathan Ake. Mm. And it's a massive, massive step forward. Because it means that it then doesn't get to a situation where 11 clubs says no, one club's got you by the balls and then they try and charge you whatever you want. And that's exactly what happened mm. with Mustafi. We got charged 35 million for Mustafi because we were desperate for a centre-back. Definitely. And it, and I think in an even more competitive marketplace, in an even more kind of tricky and competitive league, I think we have to be so much smarter about recruitment, you know, and and look at look at our practices and look at how we're doing things. And listen, again, I think I've said this on a, on a previous podcast, but ultimately we're moving forward and Edu appears to have a plan. Now that plan may not work, but all of Edu's signings thus far I've been I've been supporters of. Okay, Brad, that brings us to the end of episode six and a half of the Different <laughs> Knock podcast. It's been a good one. Let's hope I don't delete this one. Yeah, let's hope this one doesn't get deleted. That'll be ideal. That'll be ideal. Any plans for the rest of the week, Brad? Rest of the week? Rest of the evening? <laughs> I've actually plans. I copped the new Arsenal away kit. Nice. So I'm going to go pick that up tomorrow. Got it printed and everything. We love to see it. Oh, we love it. Is this the one for me? No, 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 no. Oh, I've ordered the one for you and I'm having an argument Aww. with the people who are sending it because it's still not here. Um, okay. but uh, I, I went into I couldn't be asked to go through this process again because they're just a pain in the arse so I literally just went into a sports direct when I was in Westfield nice. a few days ago nice. and uh, picked it up got me got my name and number printed on the back and what have you got Brad Brad 69 no I went for Adams because it's got to be the last name and uh, I went for my lucky number which is 13 lovely lovely alright Brad well that brings us to the end of the Different Knock podcast thanks very much Goodbye. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network.